MSW Media. Today's episode of The Daily Beans is brought to you by our patrons. Our premium subscribers make the show possible, and in return, they get an ad-free feed, access to my personal show notes, the photos submitted in the good news, VIP meet and greet and pre-sale event tickets, invites to our private social media groups, and access to bonus content. Become a patron today at patreon.com slash the daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, October 31st, 2022. Today, a QAnon conspiracy theorist broke into Nancy Pelosi's home to assassinate her and assaulted her husband. John Eastman is trying to claw back emails sent to the January 6th committee under the crime fraud exception. A top national security prosecutor has joined the team investigating the Mar-a-Lago documents. A Pennsylvania man has pled guilty to making death threats against Congressman Eric Swalwell. Justice Kagan grants a stay to Kelly and Michael Ward so they can appeal to block their phone records from being handed over to the 1-6 committee. A judge blocks a lawsuit to stop election deniers from intimidating voters at drop boxes in Arizona. A key Proud Boys co-conspirator has pled guilty and is cooperating with the feds. The White House blocks the promotion of a general who delayed the National Guard response on January 6th. And Elon Musk spreads conspiracy theories on Twitter. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Well, my goodness, we almost broke the record again. <laughs> a lot of news from the weekend and the Sunday shows. Of course, we're going we're gonna to cover all of that. Dana is traveling. She's not here with me today. She'll be back tomorrow. Later in the show, though, I'll be speaking with the Democratic candidate for Kentucky State House in the 73rd District. His name is Thomas Adams III. And I'll be talking with the author and award-winning filmmaker Melissa Jo Peltier about her new film, The Game Is Up, Disillusioned Trump Voters Tell Their Stories. So it's going to be a big show. And thanks to our patrons. I hope you're enjoying the new bonus weekly wrap-up episodes that are coming out on the weekend. Give you a little beans for your weekend. And I hope you're enjoying your ad-free feed. We have so much news to get to. And this is just breaking. Before I get to the hot notes, there is a new FEC report out, a four-year investigation showing that a lot of money was funneled to Republican candidates, particularly in Louisiana, from Russian oligarchs. And we're going to talk about that on tomorrow's show in more detail. But the FEC, as we know, is toothless uh, right now because it's made up of half Republicans, half Democrats. And the Republicans decided we didn't need to look into that. We have other completely false election fraud shit we want to make up. But we don't want to talk about the money funneled in to Republican candidates from Russia. So again, we'll be covering that tomorrow. I just wanted to let you know it's breaking news today. All right, let's uh, let's jump in. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, the lead story from the weekend, as I'm sure you've heard by now, is that a QAnon conspiracy theorist attempted to assassinate the Speaker of the House. Three days after Elon Musk purchased Twitter, the billionaire then posted a tweet that advanced baseless allegations about the attack on the husband of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. The tweet on Sunday raised a new question about how or if Musk will act to combat misinformation and hate speech on the social media site when he's the one fucking perpetrating it. On Saturday, Hillary Clinton, former first lady, 2016 Democratic presidential nominee, posted a tweet assailing Republicans 
for spreading, quote, hate and deranged conspiracy theories that she said had emboldened the man who attacked Pelosi's husband, Paul, inside the couple's home in San Francisco early Friday. Musk's tweet was later deleted, and it was not immediately clear who had deleted it. There was no apology or explanation that came along with it. In reply to Clinton's tweet, Musk wrote, there's a tiny possibility there might be more to this story than meets the eye, and then shared a link to an article in the Santa Monica Observer. The article alleges Mr. Pelosi was drunk and in a fight with a male prostitute. Now, of course, the Santa Monica Observer, owned by one-time city council candidate David Genezer, is notorious for publishing fake news. In 2016, for example, they advanced the claim that Clinton had died and that a body double was sent to debate the Republican presidential nominee, Don Trump. Now, the San Francisco police have said that Mr. Pelosi, 82, was attacked with a hammer inside his home by David DePape, who had entered through the back door. The police have said that when they arrived at the home, they found the two men wrestling for control of a hammer. The authorities have said that the assailant, 42, will face several charges, including attempted homicide and assault with a deadly weapon. At one point, the assailant is said to have shouted, where is Nancy? Where is Nancy? And Jamie Gengel at CNN is now saying that sources tell her the intruder was actually carrying a bag of zip ties as well. The through line from January 6th to this clear and present danger of violent rhetoric from the right is obvious. And any media outlet reporting otherwise is just simply incorrect. This was an assassination attempt, and it was fueled by right-wing rhetoric. In an interview on Sunday, Brooke Jenkins, San Francisco district attorney, said she had seen nothing to support the false claim that Pelosi and the attacker knew each other. Another lie that is making the rounds on social media. Now, the tweet from Elon Musk on Sunday came on the heels of his vow in an open letter to advertisers that Twitter would not become a freewheeling site that allowed entirely unfettered commentary. Quote, Twitter obviously cannot become a free-for-all hellscape where anything can be said with no consequences. And then he tweeted that. He also said Twitter aspires to be the most respected advertising platform in the world. Well, he's losing these advertisers, including GM. And in a related story, with violent political rhetoric causing these kinds of attacks and assassination attempts, a Pennsylvania man has pled guilty to making death threats against Congressman Eric Swalwell. And despite the significant rise in threats of violence against politicos since Trump took office, a Trump-appointed judge has refused to issue a temporary restraining order blocking people from intimidating voters near drop boxes in Arizona. Now, the ruling, which is a temporary measure until the court can fully adjudicate the matter, falls two days after the judge held a hearing in a lawsuit filed by the Arizona Alliance for Retired Americans and Voto Latino. They had sued an entity going by the name Clean Elections USA and its founder, Melody Jennings, and unidentified, quote, vigilantes on the hunt for so-called ballot mules. The conspiracy theory of voter fraud comes from the right-wing academic, quote-unquote, Dinesh D'Souza, and his debunked film, 2000 Mules, which argued a wide-ranging scheme to deliver fraudulent ballots to drop boxes. Mark Elias is appealing, and the DOJ is also investigating separately. Next up, one of the Justice Department's most experienced national security prosecutors has joined the team, overseeing the intensifying investigation of classified documents that Trump stole and took to Mar-a-Lago and probably other places. National security law experts interviewed by The Post say the prosecutor and the prosecutors appear to have amassed evidence in the case that would meet some of the criteria for bringing charges against the former president, an unprecedented action 
that they say probably would only happen if the Justice Department believes it has an extremely strong case. This person that they brought in, the prosecutor, is named David Raskin. He served for many years as a senior federal prosecutor in New York and more recently has worked as a prosecutor in Kansas City, Missouri. And he's been assisting in the investigation into Trump and his aides, according to people familiar with the matter. Now, Raskin is considered one of the most accomplished terrorism prosecutors of his generation, having worked on the case of Zacharias Musawi, who was tried in Virginia as a co-conspirator for the 9-11 terrorist attack. Raskin was also part of the team that prosecuted Ahmed Ghailani in federal court in Manhattan in connection with the 1998 bombings of the U.S. Embassy in East Africa. Ghailani was acquitted of most of the counts, but found guilty of conspiracy to destroy government buildings and property. He's the only Guantanamo Bay detainee to be brought to a U.S. court and tried and convicted. Both Masawi and Gailani received life sentences. Justice Department officials initially contacted Raskin to consult on the criminal investigation into the January 6, 2021 assault on the Capitol. But his role has shifted to focus more on the investigation involving the former president's possession and potential mishandling of classified documents. The addition of Raskin to the team handling the Mar-a-Lago probe is a huge indication of the seriousness with which the Justice Department officials view the case, and it underscores the high stakes for Trump and those tasked with investigating him. Just two weeks ago, Raskin won a guilty plea in a case which parallels the Trump case. A former FBI analyst in Kansas City, who authorities say took more than 300 classified documents and files to her home, including highly sensitive material about al-Qaeda and an associate of Osama bin Laden. He got a conviction in that case. Also in the news this weekend, the House January 6th Select Committee is urging the Supreme Court to reject efforts by Arizona GOP Chair Kelly Ward to shield her phone records from congressional investigators. House counsel Doug Letter said in an amazing 38-page filing Friday night that Ward's records are necessary to paint a complete picture of the machinations by former President Trump and his allies to subvert the 2020 election. Any action by the high court to prevent the committee from obtaining them quickly would likely doom the panel's 10-month effort to review Ward's contacts in the weeks following the 2020 election. Quote, Dr. Ward aided a coup attempt, Doug Letter wrote in the brief. He went on to say she tried to stop the vote count in Maricopa County, tried to arrange contact between Trump and a top county official, promoted inaccurate allegations of election interference by Dominion, and served as a fake elector as part of Trump's scheme to overturn the election on January 6th by sending Congress spurious electoral slates in contravention of the actual electoral outcome in several states. The select panel argued there was no basis to separate the alternate slate of electors from the January 6th attack. Very interesting. The panel subpoenaed T-Mobile for Ward's records in February, and Ward quickly sued to prevent T-Mobile from complying. A federal district court judge in Arizona rejected her effort to block the subpoena earlier this month, and on Saturday, a panel of the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals voted two to one to shut her down as well. Letter cited the panel's impeding sunset as the end of this Congress, and that is why there's an urgency for Ward's records. And just as Justice Thomas, Clarence Thomas, put a temporary hold on the subpoena to Lindsey Graham, Justice Kagan took similar action in this case. She awarded a temporary stay pending appeal. We'll know soon. Also, John Eastman, he's big mad. The committee went ahead and accessed his crime fraud exception emails. He said he filed like, hey, I filed another appeal 
and I hadn't heard back yet. His <laughs> filing is he's like, I filed an appeal. It got rejected. I filed an appeal. It got rejected. I filed for an extension. It got rejected. And then I filed another appeal. And when I filed that last appeal, you guys had already accessed the Dropbox and read all the stuff. So I want it back. I want you to forget what you saw and put bleach in your eyes. It's uh, absolutely an incredible filing. I'll cover it in detail with Andrew on Wednesday's cleanup on aisle 45. All right, next up, an accused key co-conspirator who longtime former Proud Boy Chairman Henry Tario, Enrique Tario, said proposed storming the Capitol, has pled guilty. So this is not Tario pleading guilty. This is a co-conspirator of Tario pleading guilty, according to Tario's lawyers. Details of the plea emerged in a pretrial hearing as the government ratchets up pressure against Tario and four other defendants who face trial in December. During the hearing in federal court in D.C., Tario's defense attorney said that John Charles Stewart, 44, of Carlisle, P.A., pled guilty in June. We didn't know that. Prosecutors interjected, and the U.S. District Judge, Tim Kelly, immediately halted the public session to go behind closed doors, which, after resuming, made no further mention of Stewart. (laughs) Stewart did not respond to request for comment Friday, but he's been identified previously as person three in Tario's charging papers. Do you remember when I said Jeremy Bertino, John Stewart, they were both searched the day Tario was arrested? They're both now cooperating, and we know that. So that's pretty big. After Stewart allegedly recommended on January 3rd that Proud Boys should focus their efforts in D.C. at the front entrance of the Capitol building, Tario responded the next morning, I didn't hear this voice note until now. You want to storm the Capitol. That's according to his indictment. And... This is big fucking news, but it's flying under the radar. The White House has rejected a recommendation by senior Pentagon officials to promote an army general who came under intense scrutiny after the Pentagon's slow response to the January 6th riot at the Capitol. Lieutenant General Walter Piott, the director of Army staff, was backed to become the four-star general at Army Futures Command by Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and Army Secretary Christine Warmoth, both of whom were appointed by Biden, and General James McConville, The Army's top officer said to defense officials they were speaking on the condition of anonymity. The White House declined to send nomination for Piot to the Senate for months, effectively killing the possibility of his promotion. I have been shouting about General Piot since early 2021. He was the one who Walker testified against. He was the one who did not want to send the National Guard because of optics and said one of the top Pentagon officials, you know, agreed with him, who happened to be General Charles Flynn. He also is one of the top Pentagon officials who magically had all of his text messages erased from that day. We knew about the Secret Service and all those erased text messages. But do you remember that little blip of a story that said top Pentagon officials also are missing a bunch of text messages from that day? I am convinced he was part of a plot to allow the attack on the Capitol to continue, possibly so that Trump could go there and declare, you know, uh, invoke the Insurrection Act. But he, he, he was there on that phone call along with General Flynn. And uh, I think him and Chris Miller and the Secretary of the Army, McCarthy, are, are all in on this, along with Sund, if you remember that guy. That's just an absolutely stunning story. And they have been holding on to his promotion for months. I don't think he's going to get it. He shouldn't. He should actually be court-martialed. All right, we'll be right back with Thomas Adams III and Melissa Joe Peltier. You don't want to miss these interviews. Stay with us. After the- Hey, everybody, it's AG, and I just wanted to take a second to thank our patrons and tell you about a new weekly wrap-up bonus episode that I'll be recording 
a full bonus episode that comes out on the weekends and it'll be for patrons. I know a lot of people have said, man, I miss my beans on the weekends. Well, now we're going to have a weekly wrap up episode. And for as little as three bucks a month, patrons get the ad free premium feed. They get access to the new weekend Daily Beans weekly wrap up episode pre-sale tickets for live shows, invites to meetups and meet and greets with the hosts, uh, access to our private social media groups. You get links to our bi-monthly happy hour Q&A on Zoom, plus a whole host of merch, including stickers, mugs, and t-shirts for signing up. And if you can't afford a membership, we have had over a thousand patrons donate a one-year subscription to those who can't swing it. For just 36 bucks a year, you can donate a premium feed to someone in need And you can also sign up for that program if you want to get on the list to receive one. Or if you want to donate one, just do that at dailybeanspod.com and look for patrons helping patrons. For more information on becoming a premium subscriber, head to patreon.com slash thedailybeans or search for us on Supercast. And thanks so much to all those who make the show possible. Hi, everybody. It's AG from The Daily Beans. Hey, this is Kimberly Johnson, host of the Start Me Up podcast. Hi, it's Frangela from The Final Word and Idiot of the Week podcast. Hi, this is Jody Hamilton of the From the Bunker podcast. Hi, it's Mariah and Steve from from How How We We Win. Win. And we are joining forces to support the How We Win Fund. The midterms are coming, and the best way we can fight back against the Republicans is to support Democrats in key battleground states. Our democracy is under attack, but we don't agonize. We we organize. Yes, we do. Together, we can protect and expand our Democratic majority this November. We are so close to a Cinna mansion-proof majority in the Senate. Take them out. Join the MSW Media family of podcasts and support the races that need us the most by donating to Swing Left's National Impact Fund. Just one donation goes directly to all of Swing Left's top races. A GOP stoking hate, peddling lies, and suppressing our vote means we need everyone to step up to protect voting rights, civil rights, abortion rights, the environment, constitutional gender equality, the government, our institutions, all the things. Do it. We beat Trumpism before, and together we will make history again. So go to swingleft.org slash fundraise slash how we win to donate what you can, share this with your friends and family, and let's show the GOP that the grassroots persistence is here to stay. This is how we win. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's time to flip it blue. And today I am talking to the Democratic candidate for the Kentucky House of Representatives, District 73. It is Thomas Adams III. Hi, Thomas. How are you? Hi there. Happy to be here. It is so good to talk to you. This is one of the more interesting races that I've gotten to talk to a candidate about because of just all the different things that are going on in the 73rd and with other former and previous and current uh, people who who occupy the seat and what's going on in their politics. But first, I wanted to ask you about the 73rd district. It's changed since the previous election, but tell us about the demographics. All right. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about my district. So 
The R district is primarily composed of Clark County. That's one of 120 counties in Kentucky, and it's adjacent to Lexington, Fayette County, one of the major population centers in the state. And uh, we've got a good thing going here, uh, rich history, strong community, but redistricting cut out another county section to the south uh, by another uh, city called Richmond and cut that out and then added in a section in Fayette County. So so we have a, an entire new section for this district, and that's actually due to the redistricting caused by the folks in power who are targeting specifically Democratic women in office. And there are many examples of that in our state, which which just puts us on the map in terms of importance. We really do need to, to work hard to win this seat. But we have a, an interesting combination of urban slash ex-urban <laughs> suburban districts that go all the way to rural uh, precincts. And we have sweeping horse farms and riverfront property, as well as tightly packed city dwellings and small town uh, dwellings as well. And so we, it's, it's, a, it's a really fascinating district, and I'm happy to be running to represent. Yeah, it's, it's got a really interesting history. And before we talk about your platform, which is awesome, I want to talk a little bit about your opponent, who is the incumbent, Ryan Dotson. And, and oh, yeah. Tell me a little bit about him and how he ended up where he is. It's a very, very fascinating story. So how he ended up where he is, is after trying a whole bunch of other things that didn't work. Uh, this guy has run for office a bunch of times, more times than I'm actually probably uh, aware of. And and this is the one that stuck. He ran in 2020. Uh, this is, uh, as a Republican, he ran as a Democrat years before. And there are a lot of funny stories about that. He actually ran back then on education and healthcare, which is really interesting com- uh, compared to how he stands on those now. But now he ran as uh, as a Republican against the incumbent, who was a well-respected man in our community and a lifelong Republican. He ran against him. It got dirty. In fact, he ran an ad that I recently reshared. I, I found and uh, reshared on Twitter. It made a lot of people upset. When you're a representative, you take pictures with folks and you, you go talk to people. That's your job as a rep- representative. Well, our former representative did just that. Some of the people in that picture were Democrats. That picture was then shared as a mailer to target uh, this lifelong Republican as a closet liberal Nancy Pelosi lover. And it turns out that that strategy worked for my current opponent because he won in our county by two votes. Two votes. By two votes. So yeah. your vote, your vote counts. So it really, it really does. And we only had uh, across the state 19% turnout during our primary. Yes, your vote counts. Uh, we're hoping for a heck of a lot more people to come out during the general. But after that, uh, the person who lost uh, and, and the people that supported him in the primary actually supported a write-in candidate for the general to challenge him on the Republican side of things. And she got a record number of votes for our area. Um, bringing in bringing in an admirable showing. Um, she did not uh, win, and we haven't had a serious Democratic candidate in quite some time. And so uh, my opponent, Ryan Dotson, coasted into office. And now what makes this even more interesting is that those two people that I just mentioned, uh, one, one's named Les Yates and the other is Jada Brady, they're both on the ballot again, but for different offices. That first guy is on the ballot for judge executive, which is a position we have here in Kentucky that holds all the power in the county, um, that, that makes the financial decisions. And then the other position is PVA, property value administrator. And what they do is actually, that's a constitutionally defined position here in Kentucky. And uh, it's pretty important stuff. 
But those two people are on the ballot again, and there's a lot of bad blood. And so I can't walk down the street, walk into the grocery store, check out while well, I'm, I'm buying, purchasing something from a business or having breakfast in the morning without people who are on the Republican side of things telling me something terrible about my opponent. And it's, it's a wild ride. Uh, and so I'm hoping to make this interesting because we have a, a candidate um, here that can run a positive campaign right here with me against a, a guy with negatives that are off the charts. And that doesn't even include people's opinions about his policy positions. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's wild right now. And so we're looking to shake things up. Yeah. And let's talk about those policy positions, because you are running on, you know, the, the awesome agenda, LGBTQIA plus rights, racial reproductive justice, disability rights, voting, you know, but Ryan is like the pro-life caucus, right? He's like taking rights away yeah. from women and stuff. So talk about That's some right. of the main differences between you and your opponent here. So one thing I want to make clear is that we are going to win on every single issue. We're not afraid to talk about anything. And I know that it's Kentucky and I know that some things are a little bit different here. Uh, we, we can't, um, some people aren't comfortable speaking about things, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to be prepared to have that discussion if we handle it correctly and carefully. And so uh, there are a lot of really caring people in Kentucky. And what my opponent, Ryan Dotson, is doing, Pastor Ryan Dotson is very good about talking about conservative issues. And he actually, the, the one time that he was willing to appear with me for just a couple of questions and answers, two minutes, one minute, one minute, one minute, no debate, he won't debate me. He made it very clear that all of his endorsements are from conservative organizations. He only seeks to represent conservative people in the state. He is not even attempting to represent people that don't match up with his with the, with his mindset or his purported value system, and and that's just not the way to do your job. You should at least try to represent the people that don't agree with you, and so that's my main beef with him. But let's talk about his positions here in Kentucky. One of the things that's driving the news right now is that we have a pretty extreme abortion ban. Now, uh, if we had enshrined protections uh, that that coincided with Roe into our state law beforehand, after Roe went down, we wouldn't be in the position that we are. But our state legislature passed a pretty extreme abortion ban and had on many occasions opportunities to add an amendment, clean amendments that would have offered exceptions in various situations. And my opponent voted no on all of them. And so we find ourselves in, as we are probably aware, because we're hearing it from everywhere, a very complicated situation for people to seek even traditional forms of, of uh, medical health care. Um, science-backed medicine is, is bumping up against this stupid legislation, and it's happening every single day. So we have that. Um, we have a, a guy in Ryan Dotson who pre-filed legislation to, uh, to impeach our governor. Uh, who is one of the most popular governors in the country. He's doing a bang-up job. He's a great guy. Uh, and and so he's on the wrong side of that. This is the guy that was against mask mandates and vaccines and all of those things. But he also pre-filed legislation to target our transgender community and specifically our transgender children. And And it was so terrible that over time, all of the edits to that piece of legislation eventually stripped the enforcement provision because it wasn't even going to be able to be enforced. It was just blatantly hateful. They passed it anyway and overturned the governor's veto. Uh, Yeah, remember? Yeah, we're in a super duper majority situation here. And so I'm running to be a member of the super minority to fight back against things like these because I still won't be quiet. Uh, So he's pushed for 
uh, they, they cut SNAP benefits just to to stick it to the governor. They they voted to to turn down federal money that was going to our Kentuckians who needed it the most. They took money out of public schools and sent it over to private schools. Uh, they p- politicized librarians. And even on the flip side, you would think that a conservative person would want to keep parents involved in the education process. They removed parents from the site-based decision-making councils at schools. So he's on the wrong side of pretty much everything across the board. And um, it, he he's had an opportunity to, to bring ideas to the table. He's been around for two years. And the things that he has brought to the table are pretty darn bad. And so across the board... We are going to be fighting back against every one of the things that he has pushed for. And and uh, I, I just it's going to be a completely different agenda with me in there. And, you know, let's talk about how you're situated where you I mean, your your background and, and what sure. has prepared you for this for this job to, to serve the Kentuckians in your district. Sure. Thanks for asking. I'm a teacher. I'm I'm actually in my classroom right now. <laughs> And uh, I was going to ask about the gray painted cinder oh, blocks. I was sorry. Like, there's a be- there is a beautiful green field out this window, but but the lighting makes it difficult. It's actually <laughs> the beautiful sweeping hills of Kentucky are right out this window. Nice. Uh, I'm a teacher, longtime teacher, lifetime learner. I have been studying, practicing, loving communication, rhetoric, public speaking, debate, argumentation, democracy for as long as I can remember. And and I'll. <laughs> It, it just kills me that I've been teaching debate and loving it and studying it in graduate school. And then I get into the political world. It's my first time running and I don't get to debate. I don't get to debate. It's killing. Uh, but I'm a teacher. Okay. I, I love education. My teachers have been the most important people in my life without exception. Uh, and, and I am including my closest family members in this, in this group. Uh, my teachers are just the best. And there's a reason why I am the person that I am. And it's, it's them. So I will be defending public schools that are currently under attack, that have been under attack for a long time, but are specifically under attack through this current iteration of the supermajority. And I'm, I'm going to fight, fight back. Uh, right now, today, our governor uh, came out with a plan to increase wages for teachers, to increase wages for everybody who works at public schools, 5% across the board, in addition to some other plans. Yeah. And I just want to remind everyone that you have a Democratic governor in Kentucky, Andy Bashir. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Andy Bashir. He is amazing. Governor Andy Bashir is amazing. And he he just came out uh, with this plan, and I am so excited to go, go push for it, uh, because now we have some tangible policy items that that are that are on the table, and I, I challenge anybody to be against them, mm-hmm. because our oh yeah another thing that that my opponent did is he voted to give himself a raise. Um, by the way, he hates big government until it's about giving him more money. But then he uh, gave himself a raise without guaranteeing a raise for teachers, and they had an option to put that in. So. Just just kills me. Kentucky lags behind all of our neighboring states. We're making as much money now for starting teachers as all of our neighboring states were making 15, 20 years ago. It's, it's just, it's, it's terrible. So I'm a teacher. I'm also a member of a world-class search and rescue team, Wolf County Search and Rescue. Look us up. We're awesome. <laughs> I, I'm very, very happy to know these people. And everybody on the team is, it's like they're a, a superhero of some kind. They all have special abilities that, and they're experts in different fields. I, I, it's It's such a diverse set of backgrounds for an all-volunteer team that's completely funded by grants and donations. But we just brought another 10 people into the the, the club of Wilderness First Responders, which is a certification you can get to serve. And we just announced that. I'm, I'm happy to know them. And I've learned so many valuable skills. Uh, additionally, I am I'm a volunteer. If somebody needs help, I step up. That's what I do. I was doing it before. It's not just campaign season helping and looking good on camera. It's what I do. It's how I was raised. And it's how I live my life. And so I am out here serving my community and 
Can you imagine that um, my opponent, who's a pastor for 25 years, and he likes to talk about that, about serving his community, but everywhere I go, I meet people who have not met this man. I meet people who have not had him in their building for whatever service you might imagine in the community that is out there actually serving the people. These people don't know him. Well, he's not there for them. He's there for himself. That's right. And we just see evidence all the time of that. You're right. You're right. Uh, So I'm a teacher, search and rescue, volunteer. I run every single day. I just passed my four-year mark of running every single day. And so I like to use this because it is my commitment to doing something hard every single day. And I have the energy to do this every single day working for my fellow Kentuckians. And, um, And I, without exception, I'm willing to say that I will represent everybody. I said this to my opponent directly. I said, I will be a better representative to you, sir, than you have been to me. And that's not a burn. That's just how it is. And, and, and so I, I'm an only child. I live with my partner here in Kentucky and we are active in our community in every way that we possibly can be. But my, my daily life reflects my commitment to my community. And I mentioned the running, but I run with a group called a Running Start on one or two of the days a week. And that's a group that is going through a substance abuse program so that they can have something that they can tie a goal to mm-hmm. as they seek treatment and recovery. And it turns out we're actually seeing very high success rates, right? Uh, so... I put my money where my mouth is. I put my actions where my heart is. And, um, and, and that's why I'm a better representative already, even though I'm not in office. Wow. Every day you run for four years. Every day. Now. Every day. I ran every day in September. Woo! <laughs> but that, All right. But, so I started with a month. That's how it, that's how it got me. I started with the small, with the, the, the small shorter one week, two weeks. You're like, well, month, why stop then, now? Right. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Is that years. your superpower with the search and rescue? Oh, no. No, 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 no. My, my, my superpower, I don't know if I can divulge it here. No, but I'm, I actually, <laughs> I am a communication guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm in a classroom uh, where I just got finished teaching a relationships class. I teach interpersonal relationships. And I believe that my interpersonal skills combined with my knowledge of communication actually set me apart. Uh, that's really what it is. The the running is a learned behavior. The search and rescue stuff is pretty cool. Uh, actually, I wasn't a Boy Scout, um, even though my, my father taught me a lot about out, outdoor stuff and I've always been outdoorsy. And with the runner, I do trail running, but I also wasn't in the service. And and so this is my way of, of doing that. Mm. Uh, as a first responder for my community, I was able to help them during the times of our recent terrible, devastating floods. And because I had my, my certification for swift water rescue, I was able to get out there on the boat and help those people that were clinging to their roofs. Mm. Right. Um, so yes, I, I like that training, but I think that my superpower on the team comes from my ability to communicate. Wow. That's, and do you, are you getting any backlash from, you know, like your opponents, uh, supporters for, you know, like, are you seeing anything in the schools? Cause we know he went after librarians, are, are the school boards and, and stuff coming after y'all for what you were teaching and what you're doing? Have yeah, you seen so, anything of that like so that? Lucky for me, uh, I teach at Bluegrass Community and Technical College. And even though I'm actually teaching a bunch of dual enrolled students from the high school, I am teaching a college class. And so I have a little bit more freedom with curriculum and we have a little bit more independence compared to how a, a school board would structure things. We've had three superintendents in three years. 
Uh, we've we, it, there is a lot going on in my community. Every everything is interesting about this race, <laughs> and so yes, um, there we have a lot of unanswered questions. My opponent was pushing to change the legislation so that they could determine more closely what was being taught in the class, right? What was being included in the curriculum and what was not. He's part of that too, right? Mm-hmm. He has been a, a pick a closed minded position that you've heard from a stock <laughs> politician, and he has it. Um, He's using direct quotes from Newt Gingrich's playbook from back in the 90s to come after me uh, in, in the letters he's sending to people. So so yes, but it's all what you've heard before. Nothing is original. And I am not overgeneralizing. <laughs> I'm not overstating this. It's very textbook and not even a good textbook. Like 90s Newt textbook. Yeah, really, really. I, I'm, a, I'm a West Coast liberal uh, who loves Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden. That's actually how he, he his concluding remark when he was on stage with me uh, was don't don't listen to him. He likes he likes Biden and the national Democratic agenda. This is a state position. I only am talking about Kentucky issues here. I don't know where he's getting this stuff. Yeah, that, that's really interesting and, and amazing. And, and I, you know, I've seen this nationwide where they use these old school rhetoric playbooks. It's just they and it just they just repeat it over and over. Okay, well, tell us where this is. Here's the part that that is my favorite part, because I want you to tell everyone where they can find you and support you. Toss you a couple bucks, maybe do some postcard writing, uh, text banking. How can they help your campaign? As you might imagine, a guy running for a position in what we call the super duper majority um, might be underfunded. My opponent is directly funded by billionaires. I am not. I would very much appreciate your support. You can find me. I go by Tommy Adams. I'll be on the ballot as Thomas Weston Adams III. And I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn. I have websites that if you search for Tommy4Kentucky.com.org with the number four, with the word four, you're going to find me. And I have my ActBlue account actively linked on all of those places. And so I would very much appreciate your support. Right now, we're closing in. Uh, right before I click into this meeting, I submitted a mailer and mailers cost money. Uh, and, and so all of our funds have been going directly into voter contact. We have no paid employees on my campaign. We have, no, nobody has taken any money from it. Uh, we haven't paid anybody back for anything. We are, we are putting everything into direct voter contact. I just got our door hangers printed. We're going to do it as a running event. We're going to have people running around, putting door hangers on for those final three days before early voting starts. By the way, we have the shortest period of early voting in the country. We have we are one of only six states with straight ticket voting. We are up against a lot of obstructions. They just changed the law so that you have to drive an hour to get your ID card at these regional centers. Everything has been placed in the way of expanding democracy. Here in Clark County, we have a candidate who is on the ballot for county clerk who is actively advocating for even less voting. Right. Democracy is under attack and and we need help. I am not the only great candidate running in Kentucky, but there are far too few of us. And so we need all the help that we can get. Um, I'd be happy to connect you with anybody else in, in, in my area that, that's doing a great job. We even have some write in candidates that are stepping up because we, we have too many empty spots on our ballots, too. So Tommy for Kentucky, I'm on Act Blue. And, and boy, we would really appreciate your support, but not just financially, also sharing our content online. Um, my, my opponent got kicked off of Vanderpump Rules, the reality television show for being too close-minded. And that was before we elected him to office. There are so many things about this race that are interesting. I would love <laughs> to share them all, but, 
but uh, but we're out here. We're out here working every day to serve our people, to serve our fellow Kentuckians. So thank you for your time. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for your time. I know you're really busy. State rep, you want to be a state rep. And we've talked about the importance of local elections and and how that's going to impact perhaps some stuff that's going on at the Supreme Court level right now with Moore v. Harper and possibly handing the decisions as to whether to certify actual electors and, and listen to the voice of the people could end up in state houses uh, like this. So thank you so much, Thomas Adams. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thomas Adams III running for state rep in the 73rd District of Kentucky. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of The Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Are you struggling with the political upheaval of the current moment? Maybe you're trying to figure out how to keep going and fight for a better world. Well, starting in October, we're bringing you a brand new podcast made for the here and now. It's called Living Through It with ECM, a podcast for interesting times. Hosted by me, Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin, a renowned activist and leadership expert, Living Through It hosts weekly interviews with guests who are changing the world from the ground up. We're offering you advice on how to continue working toward a better future in the face of burnout and exhaustion. And our aim is to inspire you, create hope, and share a collective vision for a more just and equitable future. I hope you'll join us on Living Through It with ECM, a podcast for interesting times. Men cannot know the anguish of being ruled ineligible on anatomical grounds beyond one's control. Slaves can perhaps understand eunuchs, too, and perhaps even those doomed nobles like the deposed Emperor Romanos Diogenes, whose eyes have been put out. But not men. This podcast is brought to you by Empress, The Secret History of Anna Kay, the new book by Greg Oliar, now available on Amazon. If the truth is ever to be told, I am the only one left to tell it, and tell it I must. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm happy to be joined today by the first time. I'm so excited to meet her. She's an author. She's an author and an award-winning filmmaker. She's won two Emmys for her work in news and documentaries and recently did an interview with Greg Oliar on the show Prevail. Please welcome Melissa Jo Peltier. Hi, Melissa. Hello. How, how are you today? Good. Is it Melissa or Melissa Jo? Melissa. All right, great. Well, it's so great to talk to you because right now your 2020 film, which is called The Game is Up, Disillusioned Trump Voters Tell Their Stories, is up on Amazon right now and everyone can watch it. Can you tell us a little bit about this film, what inspired you to make it and um, what what folks can expect when they watch it? Well, I uh, got the my motivation for this. I mean, as I'm sure all your listeners have felt um, and you probably too. Once Trump was elected, it was incredibly frustrating not to be able to do something. 
you know, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I'm not a data person, but I have, you know, 30 years of filmmaking experience. And I just, I, I wanted to use my skills. You know, it's like, what are my skills for if I can't use them now? And I was watching Joe Walsh on Twitter and he actually kind of like comes around in real time on Twitter and from like middle of 20 or early 2017, maybe middle of 2017 to July, 2018, when he just says no more Trump. And it was just fascinating to watch in real time because he, he was very uh, transparent about his feelings. He was like, wait a minute, he shouldn't be attacking the FBI. You know, well, wait a minute. Why, why are we doing this? And it, he basically, Joe, you know, Joe bought the old Tea Party and Republican, all their agenda, their, you know, stated agenda. He really bought it. He's a guy who's very, he's got a lot of integrity. And when he saw that the Republican Party had suddenly just abandoned all that for Trump, he got upset. And I thought, I mean, I was wrong, but I thought, well, he'll be like a canary in the coal mine and the whole party will go that way. But of course, they didn't. Uh, but I just thought there's got to be more people like him out there. And I thought watching him do this, maybe people who have doubts privately would feel like they could be given permission to change their minds if they saw others that they related to and heard how they changed their mind and why. Uh, so that's what. I set up to do, and um, I didn't. I can do anything but raise money. I'm terrible at raising money, so I was putting off even like trying to do this. And Mary Carey Craven, who is our producer, she talked me into doing it. <laughs> and um, so the two of us just dove in, and we um, didn't have very much money at all. We raised some money through the pack, and then I put some of our own money into it, but. Um, it was a labor of love for so many people who worked on it. And we had volunteers who were researching and we you know, who never done anything like that before. And we had, we just had a lot of people from all around the country who just decided to help and work for either pennies on the dollar or nothing. And thank God they did because we wouldn't have finished otherwise. But um, we finished the film actually not in 2020. We finished it in, um, in, 2021 spring and we did actually have a cameraman on the ground during the insurrection mm. wow and i think that you know one of the most common questions i get as a mm -hmm. podcaster from listeners is you know i have a trump supporter in my family or i have a trump supporter or trump supporters in my life how do i even approach a conversation with them and i think that that's where this film comes into play because it talks about the tactics that Trump used to get elected, but also what it took for former supporters of Donald Trump to change their minds. And I think it kind of gives some insight to folks on how to approach those conversations, what subjects made these Trump voters disillusioned, and how they can begin to have those conversations with people close to them that still support Trump in their own lives. Did you find that? Have you heard from folks who who found it so helpful in that arena? I, you know, I haven't heard a success story from the film yet, <laughs> which I think is partly because the film isn't really well known yet, which thank you for letting me talk about it. But that's the idea is to 
sit down with your MAGA person. And I think it's more, it's not really aimed at the hardcore people who believe the earth is flat. It's aimed at your neighbor who took down all their signs and they don't wear the t-shirt anymore, but in a conversation, of, mm. you know, so, so they're not in, they're not groupies. They're not in the cult, but they still believe they still watch Fox news. They still believe all that. So my thought is you sit down with them, let them watch the documentary, just ask them just to watch it and then just start a conversation afterward and listen to what they have to say. And I think the, the biggest thing, you know, that, and David Weisman even said this. One of the things that, that you do wrong with Trumpers is you say, you know, you try to change them. And that makes them even more and even more ingrained. And I think when you ask questions about how they came to certain beliefs and how, you know, what they saw, and you you keep asking questions, you get to the bottom of the talking, and then you start getting to real feelings and real thought. And maybe you can correct some information. That's what happened with David Weissman. Sarah O'Connell, who's a uh, YouTube personality in London, started sending him kind of like primary source things to read. And she said, you know, okay, we'll talk about this, but I want you to read this. This is from the Department of whatever. And, you know, then we'll talk about it. And he did. And he's, it took a year, but he eventually started to see the truth. And I think that's the key is ask questions, find out what it is that they wanted from him. One of the best ways to get through to people is to sit down. You know, this is a great film to start the conversation because it's very difficult not to like all the people in the film and not to identify with them. And they all had very different reasons for voting for Trump and they all had very different reasons for, for leaving. Some overlap in the leaving, but they, you know, these are just ordinary people who had high hopes for him and were disappointed because they actually did watch the facts or somebody helped them see the facts. So if you sit down and you ask questions and you just get to the bottom of the, the talking answers, then you can get down to a real dialogue. And I don't think judging them, if you want to talk to them that way, judging them is not right. Um, don't tell them they're on a call. Anyone who's told they're in a cult will get deeper into a cult. Um, <laughs> just ask them questions and try to provide them with real information. I, what was I just reading? I just read something where, um, oh yeah, it was an article about uh, a lawyer who's defending Jan January 6th people who, want, who tried to get them to read a little bit of history and read some stuff. Um, these aren't people who attack the, the cops. These are just, she wouldn't, she wouldn't defend them. And she said, you know, people would tell her that, that no, I, one of her clients said, um, the, you know, when the Constitution was ratified in 1776, and she said, well, you know, actually, it wasn't ratified till 1789. And he said, no, that's, no, that's wrong. I've done my own research. <laughs> so you have an issue with that. I, I believe that people can change if they want to. And if a crack gets through, something in them that wants to know the truth. Sometimes that crack gets wider and wider as they ask questions. Yeah, that's it's really fascinating, the behavior. I know I've talked to Dr. Hassan right. about how, how to approach people and start conversations. And I think it's I think it's truly, truly fascinating. I, and I think that, you know, there's also something to be said for the way that we sell change in any 
environment. Mm -hmm. I know I've taken a million leadership seminars that talk about selling change. And and I think that there's some there's some keys in there as well. And I, I see that popping up in some of these, you know, in these disillusioned Trump voters. So the film is on Amazon right now. It's called The Game is Up. Disillusioned Trump voters tell their stories. I want to encourage everybody to watch it and then leave a review and then see if you can have a conversation with somebody that you might know that is a a Trump supporter or perhaps a disillusioned Trump supporter to see what they think. Show them the documentary and then come back and leave another review, because what I want to see is how it has practical applications in the real world with real conversations with the people in our own lives. I think that that would be a very fascinating way to look at it. So Amazon, everybody watch it and leave a review and then show it to someone in your life and then leave another review to let let the filmmakers and let Melissa know how that conversation went. I think that that, that would be an interesting study. And you know what? If there's any PhD candidates out there, you know that would be a fascinating dissertation. <laughs> True. That's true. I, I would love to know if it really actually could have. That was my goal. And I, I'm a big believer in soft persuasion, you know, not, not, you know, hammering it down somebody's throat, but letting them empathize and listen and try to, at least at the very least, and one thing that, that has come out of this, and I've read this in some of the reviews, but I've heard this from many people, is that they said that they won't look at Trump voters the same way again, because they had judged them all, you know, painted them all with one brush. They're all racist. They're all, you know, white supremacists. They're all anti-immigrant. And that wasn't the case at all. And especially in 2016, people in 2016 who, who voted for Trump had, again, they all had their individual reasons from their personal lives. And that's really why they did it. And, and at the time, those reasons seemed very good for them. And there are people obviously who still think that, but I think that if if liberals can also look at Trump voters as human beings who were manipulated and conned, that may make them a little nicer. I'm not talking about all, <laughs> but uh, but you know the ones the ones who aren't beating up police officers. Yeah, right. The yeah, the the ones who didn't vote for him because he's a racist and, right, and, right. and a misogynist and an asshole. Yeah. All right. Well, I look forward to your conversation with Greg Oliar on Prevail, the podcast on October 14th. And this film is available right now on Amazon. It's called The Game is Up. Disillusioned Trump voters tell their stories. Thanks so much for your time today, Melissa Joe Peltier. I appreciate you talking to me. Thank you, Allison. Thank you all so much for listening today. Like I said, Dana will be back with me tomorrow. I appreciate you. If you have any good news to send in, we're going to bring the good news back tomorrow. So you can send it into us at dailybeanspod.com and just click on contact. And I really look forward. I miss I miss my Dana when she's gone. And I will see her tomorrow. And until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q and bring someone with you. I've been AG and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.